are in our second week of our brand new message series through the book of the Bible called First John, right? Sermon series is called Truth and, and, and Light because it's all about that. So, so go ahead, if you have a Bible, either in print or, or maybe you have it on an app, go ahead and go to First John uh, chapter 1. We're going to finish out chapter 1 today, dip into uh, chapter 2 just a, a little bit. And, and as you find your place in First John, I just want to start by asking you a question. I kind of enjoy doing this. This is audience participation time. And so just by a show of hands, how many of you would admit that when you were a child, you were afraid of the dark? Just go ahead and raise your hand don't be ashamed. Most of us were. Okay, that's like 80% of us. Now, now here's a harder one. H- how many of you today would, would be man enough or woman enough to admit that even today you're a little bit afraid of the dark? Just raise your hand. All right. Like, hey, that's like 10, 20, 25% of us. So, so okay, I'm, I'm there with you. I remember as a kid being afraid of the dark as many of you were. And so what my parents did is, is they would get a nightlight and they would plug that into my room somewhere, a little Superman nightlight or whatever, and they would turn it on so I could actually see a little bit, right? And then I could sleep and I wouldn't have as many nightmares or, or whatever. Um, and so I kind of got, got over that about when I was 17 years old and I took the nightlight out when my girlfriend started making fun of me. And, uh, and, and, but, but then my wife and I got married and we moved to Southeast Asia. And I don't know if you've been to Southeast Asia, but they have these things in Southeast Asia. They run rampant. Uh, we called them in Indonesian chichaks. They're just these little lizards that are, that are everywhere. I guess they kind of look like little uh, gecko uh, lizards or something like that. But they're, but they're everywhere. And so, so one day uh, I walk in, my wife is screaming in the kitchen. It looks like she's having a, a seizure. And I'm like, oh, man, what, what is going on? And finally, when I calmed her down, what happened is she reached for a coffee mug and one of those little lizards ran down her shirt. I and mean, she was going crazy. And so what we learned, though, is those things would really come out at night. Right, and so, and so if you were to go get a glass of water in the middle of the night, you better flip the lights on, right? Because if you flip the lights on, they would scatter to wherever it is that they normally went. Uh, but if you didn't, if you just walked in there, they would be all over the place. They would drop from the ceiling on you. They would run down your arm as you're reaching for a cup. It was wild. And so we learned the hard way at night, you always had to flip on the lights or you were gonna get attacked by an army of these little gecko lizards. Now, now that's just an example that kind of highlights the truth that light exposes darkness and allows us to see clearly. If you're familiar with the Bible, the Bible is full of light imagery and darkness imagery. And John, who wrote this letter that we're about to dive into, Jesus' closest friend, is going to use light imagery to teach us something about God and teach us something about uh, ourselves this morning. And so as we prepare to dive into uh, that whole vision of what light is and what darkness is, how that affects our lives, let's pause just for a moment. Let's ask God to help us as we dive into uh, his word this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we come to you and we are grateful for the gift of another day of life. You haven't promised us that this life would be easy or carefree or without issues, trial, tribulation, loss, pain, suffering. But what you have promised us is that you would walk with us 
through all of those things, which is actually even better, that we have a God who is, who is with us, Emmanuel, the God who comes close to us and wants to be in relationship with us, God. And so as we come to your words, these ancient wor- words penned all those years ago uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit through the Apostle John, God, would you enliven these words to our hearts and our minds in such a way that we would apply these truths that would make us more and more and more like your son, Jesus, for his glory, for our good, and for the good of those around us. And it's in his beautiful name that we ask and we pray these things. Amen. All right, here's the, uh, here's the game plan for the morning. I want to give you uh, three ways to know that you might not be walking in the light. All right, so three ways to know that you, you might not know God. You might think you know God. You might think that you're in the light, but perhaps you're actually walking in the darkness. So, so three ways that you might know that. John's going to give us those three kind of tests And then I want to give you three truths that I believe have the power to absolutely uh, change, revolutionize your life for the better in the new year, 2023. So let's get after it. 1 John chapter 1, we're going to pick it up where we left off last week in verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5, this will be on the screens for you if you don't have a Bible. The apostle John, Jesus' best friend, writes this. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is there it is, light, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, that's, that's a huge point. We're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. But what John is about to do is give us three if-we-say statements. These are the three ways you can know that you perhaps are not walking in the light, even if you think that you're walking in the light. So he's going to give us three if-we-say statements to know whether you're walking in the light, whether you know God or not. And I would just challenge you, as we go through these three if-we-say statements, just to do a little honest self-inventory of your life. Does you no good just to kind of pretend like these things don't apply to you? So just do a little honest self-inventory as we uh, work through these with the Apostle John. Because listen, if you are walking in the light, I want you to leave this morning and I want you to leave this series in a few weeks with incredible confidence and assurance in your relationship with the Lord. Right, so, I, so if you, man, if you know Jesus, I, I don't want you to, to struggle through doubt your whole life, as many believers who I meet do. There's just kind of this internal struggle, like, man, am I in? Am I, am I out? Do I really know Jesus? Did I really mean it when I prayed that prayer? Man, I, I don't think that Jesus wants that for you. If you are in, I want you to know with 100% certainty that you are in, you're a part of the family of Jesus. And yet, if you're not in, but you have somehow deceived yourself and you think you're in, and listen, Jesus talks about this. Right? In the Gospels, Jesus says, on that last day, there will be many, not a couple, not a few, not a handful, a dozen, not a few hundred, not a few thousand. Jesus says, there will be many on that last day, on that judgment day, when they stand before me, who will cry out, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we go to church on Sundays? <laughs> Didn't we serve in the kids' ministry? Didn't we do all these things? And Jesus will say, I believe with a tear in his, in his eye, depart from me, for I never knew you. There are people who think that they are in that are actually out, and I don't want that to be you. I, I care too much about you to let you be deceived in life. And so if you think that you're in the light when you're actually in the darkness, I want this series and even this message to kind of highlight that and expose that in your life so that you can step out of darkness into light where Jesus wants to bless you and have your life thrive as you love and follow him. Verse six. So here we get, here we get the first test, right? 
The first if we say statement is, is in verse six. If we say we have fellowship with him, that's God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, I told you last week, John is very direct. He might even be considered offensive to some. He just goes straight for the jugular, right? At this point in his life, he's, he's like 90 years old. He doesn't have time to sugarcoat anything. He just gives us the truth, right? He's very direct. If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. There it is, the first sign that you may not know God. And I want you to remember, John is addressing people in the church here. He's talking to people that, that, that would have largely called themselves Christians, followers of Jesus, but they had started believing things contrary to the faith. So you had these Gnostic teachings that, that if you missed last week, go back and catch up on it, but these Gnostic teachings and other false teachings that have kind of subtly but insidiously bled into the church and started lead, leading some astray. So I want you to understand this morning, John is not writing to pagans here. John is, is not writing to, to Muslims or, or atheists here. He's, he's basically writing to church folk. He, he's writing to people just like you and I. So listen, if you've been in church your whole life, maybe you've called yourself a Christian for many years, please don't tune this out. This might be for you this morning. So three, three signs that you may not be walking in the light, even though you maybe think you are. Number one, on the screens for you, John says, if I claim, or you, you can make this statement yourself, if I claim to know God, but consistently walk in darkness, I'm a liar. That's truth number one. If I claim to know God, but consistently walk in darkness, I'm a liar. Now, now John said that, not me. Don't, don't, don't email me. Actually, email me, mwatkins at nlcca.org. I'll answer those first thing tomorrow morning. John said it, not me. Don't get mad at me. You say, sheesh, Chris, man, like, are you saying that if I have any sin at all as a follower of Jesus that I don't know God? No, that's not what I'm saying. In fact, the Apostle John is about to address that in just a few minutes. Here's what I think John is doing. This is interesting. I'm going to nerd out with me just, just for a minute. The, the verb that John uses there for walk, walk in the darkness, is, a, is, is a, what scholars call, Greek scholars call, a present continuous tense. That's the verb tense present continuous tense, meaning what John is saying is that if you have a continuous, consistent pattern of walking in the darkness while claiming to know the light, he's saying, that, my friend, is a red flag. He's not saying if you ever stumble, if you ever sin. He's saying if you have a consistent, continuous pattern of sin in your life without repentance, without change, that is a red flag in a man or woman's life. This is the person for whom there's no conviction of sin. This is the person for whom there's no repentance. This is, John is speaking about the person who just fully embraces their sin while claiming to walk in the light. John says that is incompatible with saving genuine faith. That is a fake faith. That is a counterfeit faith. Listen, friend, you cannot walk in the darkness and live in the light at the same time. Let me say it another way. You cannot love your sin more than you love Jesus. And if you do love your sin more than you love Jesus, I would argue, and I think John is arguing, that the chances are good that you actually have never met Jesus, that you don't know him. Now that, that by the way, I've shared this with you guys before, it's no secret, that's my story. That was the biggest thing that changed for me. When I was in my early 20s, and I... Man, I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor, a missionary. So I, listen, I, 
I had all the stars. I had all the gold stars. I went to Sunday school. I went to Awana. I went to youth group. I had the Bible verses memorized. Man, I could quote it backwards and forwards. But li listen, guys, I, it wasn't until I was in my early 20s and I really gave my life to Jesus that I went from loving my sin to hating my sin. Now, I want you to understand something. I, it's not that I didn't sin anymore. The reality is there are certain sins that God took out of my life immediately on that day. There were other sins that, that, that took some time, and he's given me victory in those areas. And if I'm being completely honest, there are another set of sins that I still struggle with to this day 20 years later. But, but, but again, here's the difference. I went from loving my sin and embracing my sin to hating my sin and waging war against my sin. Instead of just accepting it, right, it began to disgust me. I hated it. And that was the primary reason that I knew that I had the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me because I no longer wanted to do those things. I began to hate those things when I did them. So what John is saying is, listen, if you say, if you have to admit, I, if I claim to know God but consistently walk in darkness, John is saying, you are a liar. You are deceived. Now, John always follows up a negative in this, uh, in this letter with a positive, thank God for that. So look at verse seven. Thank God for the word but in Scripture. Verse seven says, but, now here's the good news. In other words, if, if that's where you're at, that, that's where you're at. You just need to be honest with who, who you, where, where, where you are, who you are, but, the, but it doesn't have to stay that way. It doesn't have to stay that way. You, there's another option. He gives us another option in verse seven. He says, but if we walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light. In other words, if we choose the way, uh, the pathway of Jesus instead of the pathway of sin and flesh, we have fellowship with one another, we talked about that last week. When we follow Jesus, we get this great big new family of brand new brothers and sisters who all have the same spiritual father, all indwelled by the same Holy Spirit, right? So if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We get this great big new family called the church. And this is beautiful. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And those are some of the most beautiful words in the entire Bible. If we walk in the light, we, have, we get fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now, church, I, I got to tell you, this is heartbreaking to me, but I think you need to be aware of it. Um, there, there's been an effort the last 10, 12 years or so in, in, in a lot of churches, uh, a lot of mega churches, uh, some, some church growth consulting agencies that will meet with pastors and elder teams and staff church teams that have, have been teaching churches and church leadership teams that if you want to attract the masses in your community, don't ever sing, teach, or mention the blood or the cross. So there, there are literally thousands of churches that are being discipled in this way of doing ministry. Don't, don't ever mention the blood because it's offensive. Don't ever mention the cross because it might uh, be a, a put off to some people, which is, which is why, by the way, church family, why you can walk into thousands of churches across this nation today that are nothing more than social clubs, preaching nothing more than self-help gibberish, devoid of the power of Jesus or the presence of the Holy Spirit. And church, listen, I, I just need you to know, without the cross, without the blood, I got nothing to give you on Sundays. Like, that, like that's all I've got, that's all we've got. Because without the blood of Jesus to cleanse us of our sin, listen, we would still be lost in darkness, still be separated from a perfect and holy God by our sin. Man, I need the blood. And I need to be reminded, that's why we have a cross hanging right in front of the stage. I need to be reminded of the cross and the empty tomb. That is my only hope. 
And here's why. You don't know me well. You don't know my heart. But I know my heart. And I know the wickedness of my own mind and my heart. Listen, I need Jesus. I need a bloody gospel and a rugged cross and an empty tomb. And John is saying to us, you do too. Whether you realize it or not, you need this. This is the key to the good life. This is the key to freedom. He goes on in verse 8, and he's going to give us the second if we say statement. Pay attention to this. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. In other words, now we're not just lying to others. We're lying to ourselves. This is called self-deception. If we say we presently have no sin in our lives, we deceive ourselves and the truth God is not in us. So that's the second sign that you may not know God, you may not be walking in the light. Number two, if I claim to have no sin in my life, I would have to say, according to John, I'm self-deceived. Now, now here's what I've noticed. Maybe you've noticed this as well. The concept of sin has gone totally out of vogue, not just in our culture at large, but even in the church culture in America as well. It's rare, almost. I'm just telling you guys, like, if you've been here a while, maybe you don't realize it, but it's, it's rare in many churches to ever, 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 one time even hear the word or the term sin. In fact, we, we tend to avoid the term altogether. Instead, we'll, we'll say things like, I, I made a mistake. I had an indiscretion. I slipped up. I had a whoopsie. <laughs> we, we, we come up with all kinds of goofy ways of, of saying that we have sin in our lives, right? And many people will actually say those things because they want to deny their sin because to admit that they have sin in their lives would be to admit that they need a Savior and they need to turn over the keys of their life to someone else, namely Jesus Christ. And so here's what we do in our culture, even in our church culture. We'll deny our sin. We'll justify our sin, we'll explain it away, we'll compare ourselves to other, others who have worse sin to make ourselves feel better about the sin in our lives, we'll conceal it, we'll ignore it, we'll hide it, we'll sweep it under the rugs, and when we do that, what John is saying is we are only harming and deceiving ourselves when we do that, friend. We're only harming ourselves and deceiving ourselves and stunting our spiritual growth when we don't drag our sin out of the darkness of our lives and bring it into the light of Jesus so he can begin to heal us and make us whole. Charles Spurgeon, great uh, English preacher, 1800, says this about it on the screens. Spurgeon writes this, the idea of having no sin is a delusion. You are altogether deceived if you say so. The truth is not in you. And you have not seen things in the true light. You must have shut your eyes. You must be a stranger to your own heart. You must be blind to your own conduct every day. And you must have forgotten to search your thoughts and to weigh your motives. Or you would have detected the presence of sin. He who cannot find water in the sea is not more foolish than the man who cannot perceive sin in his members or his body. As the salt flavors every drop of the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. Listen, friend, do not conceal or hide your sin. It's not healthy for you. It's not good for you. It does you no favors in the long run. There's a better pathway to deal with the darkness in your heart and your mind, and he's gonna give it to us right here. Look at verse nine. John continues to write. He says this, and here's the key that kind of unlocks what we're gonna be talking about. John says this, if we confess our sins, that's the opposite of what most of us do. Hide it, conceal it, justify it, pretend it doesn't exist, sweep it under the rug. 
John says, no, 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 no. Dear brother and sister, if you love Jesus, if you follow Jesus, here's what you do. Confess your sins. Why, John? Why would I do that? That's embarrassing. That's humiliating. That's a strike to my pride. Here's why, John says. Because he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John goes, don't deny your sin. Don't hide your sin. Don't cover or conceal your sin. Friend, confess your sin. Why? Jesus is faithful and just when we confess our sin to cleanse us, to forgive us from all of those unrighteous things in our hearts and our minds. That's the second way that maybe you would just have to admit, like, man, maybe I'm not walking in the light. Maybe I don't really know Jesus. I, I just don't. I don't take my sin very seriously. In fact, I, I would just kind of maybe even like say I don't, I'm not really a sinner. I don't have sin in my life. John says, man, <laughs> that is a red flag. That is a red flag in your life. You need to do some self-inventory. Now, verse 10, we get the last one. The last if we say, the last warning that we may not be walking in the light. Here we go, verse 10. John says, if we say we have not sinned, so that's, that's past tense. So he just dealt with uh, someone who would say they don't have any current sin in their life. Now he's saying uh, past tense. If we say we have not sinned in the past, we make him, who's him? God. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. So you notice the progression, right? The, the first one, right, we're lying to others. The second one, we're self-deceiving, we're lying to ourselves. Now he's saying, you're actually lying about God. So number three, if I claim to have never sinned, I am calling, according to John, I'm calling God a liar. Now, now John is basically just saying the same thing in a different way here because God says in his word that we're all sinners. Romans 3. Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And for someone to say, man, I'm not a sinner, I've never sinned. For someone to say, man, they've never chosen themselves over God or their way over God's way. Man, you're not just lying to others. You're not just lying to yourself. You're calling, according to John right here, you're calling God a liar. Which seems to me to be like a really big deal. And like, like waters I probably don't want to be swimming in. And I would guess probably waters that you don't want to be swimming in either. And so, and so there you have it, three signs that, that you may not be walking in the light regardless of what your lips claim about your faith status with your creator through Jesus Christ. So let me just say, friends, heed these warnings. These are ultimately for our good. They're not to just make us feel crappy about ourselves. These are, these are good things for us to consider because if, if we are walking in darkness, he wants to expose light in those areas of our lives so that we can experience freedom. This is for our good. This is for our good. Now, let me give you the three truths that I think are in this text that have the power to absolutely revolutionize our lives. Let's go back to the start. First John chapter one on the screen for you, starting in verse five. Let's read it again. This is the message that we have heard from him. That's Jesus, and we proclaim to you, here it is, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is the first truth, and it's an incredible one. Number one on the screen for you guys, listen. God is light. I want y'all to say that with me. On the count of three, one, two, three. God is light. Man, that is good news. Now, if you were here last week, you know we, we left off talking about joy, right? That Jesus wants us to, to have not, not partial joy, but, but full joy when we follow him. Why can we have joy as followers of Jesus? Well, it's because our God is light. Because there's no darkness in him. Like, everything about him is good. 
Don't you know there's not an ounce of evil or darkness in him? He is the source of everything that is right and good in this life. This is a massive truth. This is the way James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes it on the screens for you. James chapter 117. James writes this. He says this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, God never changes. He can never be anything but light, life, and good. Listen, friend, it is impossible for God to be anything other than perfectly, flawlessly good. Impossible for him. Now, when, when Cheryl and I first got married, she grew up as a missionary kid in, in Africa, and... Um, so her mom made her red velvet cakes every year for her birthday. Now, some of y'all might be into red velvet cakes. To me, they're nasty, they're dry, I, I don't get it, but that was her childhood thing, and so uh, she always, for her birthday, she would want a red velvet cake. And uh, I'm not much of a cook, not much of a baker, but um, one year early on in, in our marriage, I said, babe, listen, I'm your boo now. Let me make your cake, all right? I know you know how to do it well, but just give me the recipe. Like, I'm 23 years old now, I know how to do it, all right? <laughs> Pride become, comes before a fall, right? And so, listen, y'all, I'm just telling you, I followed that thing, that recipe to a T. I mean, I did everything she told me to do. I did all the right things. I did all the right steps. I preheated the oven the right way. I did everything the right way, and I poured that batter in there, and I hit the timer, and I came back 30 minutes later, and I pulled that cake out, and it looked like a cat had just puked up the, the nastiest red bloody hairball you'd ever I mean just chunks of stuff and and so I tried to hide it I tried to conceal my work and with the frosting and so and so I kind of tried to shave it down and put the frosting on it man and and she just looked at it when I gave it to her and she was like what is this it's like what are you talking about babe this is this is the classic red velvet cake and so I kid you not every year I ask her we've been married for 19 years now I'm like hey babe you want me to make your cake this year and she's like she's so sweet she's like no I know how busy you are Chris like yeah I, like like I know you got a lot going on I'll, I'll let me handle it let me handle it. that's her sweet way of saying no you blew it boy you blew it you blew your chance listen my effort produced a bad result my effort produced a bad result I want y'all to know that never has happened with God he has never produced a bad result. Only good, only life, only light, 100% of the time. Listen, y'all, I want you to fall in love with this God. He is everything that is right and good in this universe. Now listen to me, this is really good news for those of you, and I know this is probably most of you, this is really good news for those of you who have been let down by others in life. This is really good news for those of you who have been betrayed by friends, maybe divorced by a spouse, cheated on, lied about. Listen, I want, you to, I want you to look at me just for a minute. God will never, not ever, not a single time, not once, never will he fail you. Never will he betray you, leave you, abandon you, or let you down. He is good all of the time. He is light and he is life. Give your life to this God for life with him is the good life. I'm just telling you, it is. Now here's the second truth. Look at verse six. That's the good news. Here comes the bad news. We'll end with some even better news. He writes this, and starting in verse six, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie 
and do not practice the truth. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar and his word is not in us. John says all of that to say this to us. This is truth number two on the screens for you. Your biggest problem, friend, is your sin. God is light, truth number one. Truth number two, your biggest problem is your sin, not somebody else's. Not the person sitting right next to you. Your biggest problem is not your spouse that doesn't understand you and doesn't love you well enough. Your biggest problem is not your disobedient kids or your parents that really don't get how hard your life is or your jerk of a boss at work or your bank account is running on fumes this morning or the traffic is so terrible on I-26, and it is, or any number of other things that feel like your biggest problem right now in this moment. Your biggest problem, my biggest problem, humanity's biggest problem is that we are born with a bent to choose our way over God's way. Every single one of us, born with a sin nature. Original sin. And we're born with this proclivity, all of us, to choose us, ourselves, our ways, sin over God and his pathway for us. We're born with a tendency to drift towards the darkness instead of to the light. I can prove it to you. And many of you have experienced, and in fact, I would say most of you have experienced this. If you put your life into neutral, your spiritual life into neutral, let's just say for six months, three months even, a month even, you just put your life into neutral. Let's say you stop going to church, you stop praying, you stop reading the scriptures, you stop meeting with other believers. Let me ask you a question. Do you drift towards holiness or sin in that time of neutrality in your life? Don't lie to me, you're in church. No, no, no. You, you head towards sin faster than a chubby kid on a bag of Cheetos, man. Right? And I know that because I am the chubby kid that likes the Cheetos, right? <laughs> I, know, I know that, right? Because Listen, that's my story too. If you're thinking, well, Chris is a pastor. He's been to seminary. He's no, no. Listen, no. I'm telling you, if I put my life in neutral, if I stop practicing the spiritual disciplines, I drift so fast towards the dark side. It's scary. Do you see what John is doing here? John, John is contrasting who God is, his character, and his nature with us. That's the comparison, guys. L- listen, don't deceive yourself. Don't compare yourself to your neighbor, your friend, your coworker. Like, man, I, yeah, like I sin a little bit, but, but I'm not as bad as him, so I must be good. No, 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 that's not the standard, friend. The standard is God. That's the standard by which we have to compare ourselves. He's contrasting us with God. And God is light. He is life. He is good. There's no darkness in him. And then John goes, you look in the mirror, friend. What do you see? You are, apart from Jesus, the opposite of all of those things. Your heart is dark. Your thoughts are wicked. Listen, if I, if I, if I, uh, I've said, I used this example before, I think it's a good one. If I, if I were to come up here and say, hey, listen, guys, we developed a technology that can read your mind, uh, record it in a database, and what we're going to do is one by one, we're going to put all of your thoughts from last week on the screen. We're just going to dissect them, talk about them. For all of you. If, you're, if your name starts with A, we'll start with you. We'll just go through the alphabet. How many of you, if I said that, and it was actually true, I actually had a means to do that, how many of you are not sweating right now? How many of you are not trying to like, man, I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> you see like half the church sprinting to their cars in the parking lot, right? Listen, everything that God is, listen, everything that God is, we are not. And you might not think that's a big deal. This is a massive problem. 
this is a huge problem for you because if God is light, if he is perfect and he is holy and good and he is all of those things and, and he can't be in the presence of sin or darkness and yet that's who we are apart from Christ, that means there's this huge, unpassable chasm between us and our creator with no way for us to get back to him. That's a huge stinking deal. This seems like a really hopeless, dark situation, and it would be hopeless if it were not for the next two verses. Watch this, chapter two, starting in verse one. John continues his train of thought. He says, and he knows he's just giving them bad news. He knows he's just giving them things that would likely crush their hearts, and he, he, he starts with a term of endearment. You'll see him use this over and over again in the letter. Remember, John is 90 years old. He's a spiritual father. He's an older man now. He loves these young believers. He says, my little children, a term of love. He's like a spiritual father to them. In other words, don't, don't lose heart, my little children. I love you. And he says this, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now, let me just pause there. We'll continue on. John is not saying, as some have claimed, that we become sinless the moment that we become followers of Jesus Christ, right? John is not saying that we become sinless. What I think he is saying is that we can sin less. Do you see the distinction? He's not saying we become sinless. He's saying that we can now, in Christ, sin less. We are no longer slaves to sin as we once were. We now have a choice. And one of the primary reasons John is writing this letter to the churches in Asia uh, 2,000 years ago and to us today is to encourage us as followers of Christ to increasingly say no to sin in our lives. Regardless of what culture says is acceptable and man, you should just be you and accept who you are and you were born that way and all this other junk. He's writing to us and he's encouraging us to learn increasingly as you walk in the light to say more and more, say no to sin in your life. Not to embrace it, not to accept it, not to just normalize it, not to make excuses for it, not to hide it. No, 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 to, to be honest about it, to say no to sin in your life more and more as we walk with Jesus. The reality is this, with the help of a strong Christian community around us, with the word of God in front of us, with the spirit of Jesus inside of us, men, we can make progress in our battle against sin. We can. That's the good news. Not, not perfection, but progress. Listen, friend, listen. You ought to be able to look back at your life today, a year from now, three years from now, and say, man, I got a long way to go on my walk with Jesus, but I can see the ways that God is giving me victory over certain areas of sin in my life. And I would say, man, if you look back at your life a year ago, three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, and you claim to walk with Jesus and you see no progress, that should be a red sign to you, friend. You, you ought to be able to look at issues of, of pride and lust and greed and self-centeredness and gossip and lying and say, man, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not who I want to be, but by the grace of God, I'm not who I was a year ago, three years ago, five years ago. Well, praise God, praise God. This type of progress and freedom is available for those of us in Jesus Christ. Now, here, here's what that means. That means that I don't have to stay in the same dump that Jesus found me in 20 years ago. And we say this all the time, man. Jesus takes us where he finds us, but he never leaves us where he found us. Jesus takes us where he finds us, but he never leaves us where he found us. We say this all the time as well. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. If far too many Christians, are, they like the first part of that. It's okay not to be okay. But then they just stay there for a year, five years, 10 years, decades, a lifetime. 
and you miss out on all that God has for you. Listen, it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. But what happens, Chris, when we do stumble and we do fall, we do sin? Is there hope for us? The answer is a resounding yes. Pick back up where we left off in uh, John chapter 2, uh, halfway through verse 1. He says this, but if anyone does, he says, I'm, I'm writing this so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, here's the good news. We have an advocate with the Father. There's a Greek word, parakletos. It means, literally means helper. It's usually used for the Holy Spirit. Here John uses it for Jesus. The only time it's ever used with Jesus. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a helper with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, I, I bet you $20 nobody used the word propitiation this morning around the breakfast table. Raise your hand if you did. I want to shake your hand. Pastor Michael, give you $20. No, no. In fact, I, I would bet most of you, maybe none of you even used that word in the last week or month. But I want you, listen, I want, I want you to get familiar with that word because it's a beautiful word propitiation. Why don't you say that with me? Propitiation. All right, this time say it without spraying the person in front of you. Propitiation. Propitiation. Now, th this word propitiation, again, we don't use it in our culture, in the English language much anymore. This is what it means. It means to satisfy judgment against. That's what it means. To satisfy judgment against. Listen, guys, because God is holy, because he is light, because he is perfect, and you are, and I are none of those things, there was a judgment against you and me that we had no way to pay. We had no way to get to this perfect and holy God because of our sin. And John goes, fear not, Christian, because in Jesus you have an advocate, you have a parakletos who has satisfied the judgment on your behalf. You have a helper who stands in the gap and fills that gap between you and God the Father. And so I want you to just kind of picture this scene if you can in your mind's eye, the, the, enemy, the enemy, the evil one. The book of Revelation tells us that, that our enemy, Satan, the evil one, he's the accuser. John tells us in the book of Revelation, he's the accuser of the brethren who accuses us, the Bible says, night and day before the Father. So I want you to picture just this, this scene maybe in, in heaven of the Father there, Jesus at, sitting at the, the right hand of the Father and our enemy comes before the Father and says, God, I want you to know that, that, that this person right here, and he's pointing right at you, he's guilty. She's guilty. Just look at the way that they've messed up. They sinned so much. There's no way that they belong to you. They're rebels. God, they belong to me. They are mine. And I want you to picture in that moment, Jesus, your advocate, in that very moment, rising from his throne at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And he says in that moment, not so fast. This one has been washed in my blood. I have forgiven their sins. I have cleansed them. I've made them new and whole. And Satan says, objection, your honor. And God says, overruled. This one is bought with my blood, the, son, the, my, the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. And here's the third point that I want you to see on the screens for you. Listen, Christian, you have an undefeated, invincible advocate in Jesus. 
You have, a, you have an undefeated, invincible advocate in Jesus. Not just any advocate. Like not, 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 not some flimsy, weak-kneed, spineless lawyer in the courtroom, but the living Son of God. The king of this universe, the conqueror of sin, death, and the grave, who rules and reigns now and forever. So here, here's, the, here's the challenge, and I'm going to invite the band to go ahead and uh, come, come take their place to lead us in just a moment. Here's the, here's the challenge, friend. I think this is what John would say to us if he were on stage this morning. Walk in the light in 2023. That's the encouragement. Choose Jesus over sin in 2023. And, and listen, friend, when, when you should stumble and fall, and you will, and I will, but when that happens, listen, don't wallow in the mud. Don't run from your father in shame. Instead, remind yourself that you have an advocate in heaven who wages war on your behalf. Jesus, the risen one, who is the propitiation for your sin. He is your advocate before the Father who cleanses you with his blood and calls you into the good life. You say, Chris, what does that look like practically? Man, like, how do I walk in the light in 2023? And I've been, I've been calling myself a Christian for months, years, maybe even decades, man, and I still struggle with all kinds of stuff. How, how do I do that? Well, I think John just gave us a hint here. John just told us, learn how to exhale sin through confession and breathe in grace and forgiveness. This is spiritual breathing, friend. Learn, learn how to exhale sin through confession and breathe in grace and forgiveness. Because listen, the closer you get to the light, the more clearly you see your own sin. Have you noticed that? The closer you get to Jesus, right, that doesn't produce pride in our lives. Actually, that, that produces a humility in our lives because we can more clearly see all of the areas where we're falling short. The closer we get to Jesus, we have to say, God, I need you even more. And like, I need you, I need you more than I thought I needed you. Like, I need you every single day. Like, I can't get out of bed without messing up, without hurting my spouse or my kids or doing something to hurt your heart, God. And so I need you. These are the ways that I'm messing up, God. These are the ways that I'm struggling. I just want to give it to you. I want to confess these sins because you promised that you are just and righteous to cleanse me and forgive me of all these things, God. Would you help me increasingly have victory over these areas in my life? I know I can't do this by myself. Like, I, I need you. I need your spirit inside of me to convict me, to woo me, to draw me, to show me how beautiful you are, that you're more beautiful than these sins that keep enticing me. We learn how to breathe spiritually as we excel our, exhale our sin through confession. We breathe in grace and forgiveness. And then we begin to walk in the freedom and the light that Jesus bought for us on that bloody, rugged cross 2,000 years ago. And that empty tomb that still remains empty in Jerusalem to this day. And what I want to do right now is we're going to move into a time of celebrating what Jesus has done for us in a tangible way. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to take the bread. We're going to take the juice, remind ourselves of what he's done. We have some elements in the back. If you miss those on the way in, now would be the time to hop up, run back, and grab some elements in the back. If you're watching online via live stream, go ahead and jog to the kitchen, grab some crackers, some bread, some juice, whatever it is that you have. In about one minute's time, we're going to take these together. But I want to give you a minute just to, to silently bow your heads and pray and ready your heart to take the elements, right? 
Paul encourages us in 1 Corinthians to do that, not to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, but we, we should make our hearts right before the Father. And so we just talked about confessing sin. So brothers, sisters, let me encourage you, let me plead with you before you take the cup, before you take the bread, confess your sin and understand, cling to the truth that he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all these sins. So would you search your heart right now? Would you say, Holy Spirit, expose any areas of my life right now that are out of kilter with your design for my life, and then just confess that to the Father, knowing that he's gonna forgive you because of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Let me just encourage you for one minute, bow your heads, close your eyes, you prepare to take uh, the elements, and we'll do it in just a minute together. Jesus, thank you for being our advocate. When our enemy whispers lies into our ear and attempts to condemn us before the Father, thank you that we have the risen one, your son, who stands in the gap on our behalf and says, no, 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 this one belongs to me. She's been forgiven. He's been forgiven. They've trusted in my name. The sacrifice of my blood has been applied to their sins in their life. And they are free and they are guiltless, not because of their lives, but because of my life applied to them. God, would you help us never to lose the wonder of that truth, the beauty of the gospel, the great exchange, our sin for your righteousness, your death for our life. Would you teach us not to run in shame when we stumble and we fall, but to run to you all the more clinging to the promise that you are faithful and just when we confess our sin to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness, God. Help that become the way that we breathe spiritually in our lives, that we just exhale sin through confession. And we breathe in your grace and your mercy and your freedom every single day of our lives as we learn more and more to walk in your light become more and more like your son, Jesus. Amen. The church family, we normally recite the Apostles' Creed when we take communion together, but uh, we're going to switch it up today. Uh, there's a young lady in our church named Jaden, 17-year-old high school student, uh, who wrote a poem uh, this week, and, and I just asked her for her permi permission to use it. Uh, I think it's a great lead-in to uh, the Lord's Supper. And so it's going to be on the screens for you, and I just encourage you to kind of allow these words to bathe your heart, to prepare your mind, to take uh, the bread and the cup in just a minute. And uh, as soon as I'm done reading the poem, we'll stand together, we'll take the elements, and we'll be done. But this is a poem called It Is Finished by uh, Jaden. It says this, Betrayed, beaten, bloody, gasping for oxygen, with every breath body lifting to fight for air, head flooded with faces, while suffering the most painful of deaths, it is finished. Every known brokenness carried in his heart, yet it wasn't his heart's to bear. For he did no wrong. Purity and perfection was stored in every crevice of this heart. It is finished. Why willingly die for the hardened heart of another? And not just for one or even two, but all. For I know one lifetime of broken is more than enough to, of a burden to bear, and the load should only be on the shoulders of the ones who commit, and yet it is finished. Why die for me, for I know where I fall. 
If I knew every thought people allowed into their minds, I would, I would say we're disgusting, helpless, hopeless, nothing but dust. And yet the one who does know us all has said, it is finished. How do I begin to comprehend this act of love? No more shame or guilt? No more walking blind? No, no more risk in trusting? No fear in death? No more search for hope? For I am starting to see that it is finished. Oh, where do I begin to thank you? How do I receive this gift? My heart is overflowing with gratitude. My arms are raised in praise. Not only have you suffered and died, you still live. You reign. You direct me. What power you hold. I am humbled. How humbled I am, for I have faith in knowing it is finished. Betrayed. Beaten. Bloody. Gasping for oxygen. Head flooded with guilt and shame. This was my penalty, but no more. I realize now your sacrifice has given me a choice between life and death. And my heavenly Father, I choose life. I choose you. It is finished. The church family, would you stand with me as we celebrate the fact that Jesus has finished our sin once and for all. Let's walk in the light in 2023, the night before Jesus was crucified. When Jesus said, the word says this, the gospel says this, when Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we eat in remembrance of the broken body of our Savior today. And after that, he took the cup from the table and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so on this morning, we drink in remembrance of our Savior's blood who was, that was spilt on our behalf all those years ago. Amen. Church family, let's worship our King.